Hey, how are you? It's another episode of Film Streak, and my name is Rob. And if you are new to Film Streak, you're just checking this out. Every episode, what I like to do is take a look at some movies that I've never seen before. Now, sometimes they're new, sometimes they're really old. And uh, maybe every once in a while, it's something that's just kind of a random recommendation, something I just added to a, a list of movies I'm trying to watch. And, you know, the list grows over time. There's so many movies that come out every year, every month, every week. So here's my way to kind of work down that list and see some things I've never seen before and maybe expand some horizons and just uh, get a better understanding of the bigger world of film and the people who make films. So with that said, uh, if you're just listening to this, if you've maybe stumbled upon it, um, go check out filmstreak.com. You can find our other episodes there. You can subscribe, add this to your Apple podcast, Spotify uh, playlist or, or whatever. If you have some thoughts on the episode, you can always email that to comments at filmstreak.com or you can leave a comment with this episode on the website. So. I didn't want to just do Christmas films. This is the time of the year that we're in right now. We're in December 2022. And um, I thought, why not? Let's let's put a little bit of a spin on this, right? And I've seen several films over the years that take the, I guess, the formula of a Christmas film or a Christmas story and add something else to it. And sometimes it's comedy. Sometimes it's a love story. Every once in a while, it's horror, and so that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at some films that are horror-related or horror-adjacent Christmas films. And um, not all of them are, and not entirely, but uh, that's kind of the vibe. I also wanted to do a little bit of a, uh, a little bit of some pairings. I, want, I wanted to do some double features, if you will. And so let's get started with our first, our first set here. This is going to be Film Streak 168. Black Christmas. A high school girl's been murdered. Mr. Harrison's daughter is missing. And now at the house where she lives, the other girls are getting obscene phone calls. Yeah, what I've done is I've tapped this phone so that when it rings, it'll ring at the station house, too. There was a little girl murdered over in the park tonight. Yes, I heard. Your phone's ringing. Hello? Hey, mommy. Hey, baby. Baby, all right, mom. Who's there? I know you're there. Just a minute. You have to be a spirit. Remember those idyllic scenes out of your childhood? Crisp winter nights, star bright, sleigh bells, crackling yule logs, candlelight glistening off of shimmering Christmas trees, chestnuts roasting over open fires, carolers beneath snow-covered window ledges. Remember those. Remember them well. After Black Christmas, they'll never be the same again. Black Christmas, starring Olivia Hussey, Keir Dulay, Margot Kidder, and starring John Saxon as Lieutenant Fuller. 
If this movie doesn't make your skin crawl, it's on too tight. All right. So this is a film from 1974. Uh, this is directed by Bob Clark. And by all accounts that I can see, it set a template for what horror movies would become over the next couple of decades afterwards. So this is 1974. And, you know, if you just watch just the opening credits, the opening sequence, it's very reminiscent of the opening sequence of Halloween, which came out a few years later. I think it's it's kind of known in some circles that this is a little bit of an inspiration for that in Halloween, but also the overall template of the mysterious slasher that is kind of preying on a group of people or a group of teenagers or whatever. You know, you you, you take that out into something like Halloween, something like Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, all those movies, those franchises that were built up over the next 20 years, you can kind of trace a lot of that back to this film. And so with that in mind, you know, I, I had always heard about this film. I'd never seen it. And so I thought, well, here's my chance. Let me, let me get in here. This is perfect. This is Christmas, but it's horror and it's kind of, uh, it's kind of darkly comedic, and yet it's also a little bit, uh, it's got a little bit of commentary, a little bit of social message that it's trying to work into it. I can, I can appreciate the, I guess, the groundbreaking aspects of it, um, maybe where it changed the direction of horror films or, or thrillers even. I think over time, if you look at this film that is almost 50 years old now, you can see there are some elements that just really don't hold up so well. And it's probably just more of the, the production or the quality. It's not necessarily the, the, the concept, the premise. The premise is still pretty solid. In fact, it's so solid that they've remade this movie twice over the years. We'll talk about that in a minute. So here's the deal. This story is about a group of young women in a college for uh, sorority house, and they're getting phone calls. They're basically they're college students, so they're a little bit disinterested in what this really is. They don't really take it seriously. But the phone calls kind of keep coming. One of the girls, uh, she's pregnant. Her reaction to it, her reaction to it, is she doesn't want to have the baby, and he does. And so it seems like there's a little bit of room for conflict there that starts to drive a little bit of the 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 plot in terms of somebody's killing these these young women and there's there's a, a search for who it could be but also the motive for it. And the boyfriend is played interestingly enough by Kier Doulet who the I think most people would probably know as Dave Bowman from 2001 which came out, what, five years before this film, five or six years before. And he he's not the astronaut, you know? He, he's a, a not he, he doesn't even really seem like a college-aged guy. So it's very interesting to see his dynamic with his girlfriend, who is um, played by Olivia Hussey, who does seem very young. I don't know. It's a little, it's a borderline, a little bit, uh, questionable of like, how did these two meet and what is the re real relationship there? He starts to really develop into like a domineering kind of uh, possessive 
personality, even to moments where he starts to become unhinged and um, starts to lose it as the as the movie plays out. And so that dynamic, that relationship is really kind of at the core of the film. But there's also other characters that are in the mix. There's Margot Kidder, who is another one of the uh, the sorority sisters in the house. And she is very kind of very cavalier about the whole thing and even kind of playing around with the police and their interaction. And, and just the nice thing that I came away with it from, though, is a, is a different appreciation from Margot Kidder. I mean, I think most people probably know her from Superman movies, you know, the, the movies from the late 70s and 80s where she played Lois Lane and very, I, I, to, to me, really nailed that part. And maybe it's not accurate to the comics or or different renditions or whatever, but that era of Superman with that Lois Lane really worked to me. And so here, I, this is actually a new character, and you could see there's little hints of what would become Lois Lane, but this is a very different person. This character she plays, Barb, is a little more mischievous and a little more kind of free... Uh, free flowing with what she has to say. She has no filter. She has no uh, sense of maybe inappropriateness or, or, or whatsoever. So overall, I think the dynamic between her, the other characters, even some of the, the police and the characters that come into the mix as they're trying to figure out who the killer is, that all really makes for an interesting combination. And, you know, you do see it play out in other films in the genre in the years to come. But here, I, I feel like this is really, yeah, this really does kind of set the mold. Now, where the film, I think, could use some work, and, and I think where it shows its age today, is in the representation of the killer. Now, the killings themselves, they're a little bit disturbing. They're, they're a little inventive. You know, for the time, they weren't just simple murders. They were off-putting because of the nature of it, as someone is stalking these young women in this house. Even the, the way the, the killer is moving through the house and the way it's depicted with the camera work and all that, it's, it's, it's creepy. The issue is when the phone calls start coming and we hear the other end of the phone call and we hear that voice, the voice sounds almost like childish and almost just like someone playing it doesn't sound threatening if the, if that makes sense like if i heard a, if i picked up the phone and i heard that voice on the other end and and making some of the noises and saying some of the things yeah it would kind of put me off and i'd i'd wonder what the hell is going on but at the same time i would just laugh it off and hang it up it it didn't seem like oh this is something i should really be concerned about Today, maybe back then that was a very different thing, but I think that's maybe the one weakness in the the character, the the killer, and the way it's represented doesn't really come across as totally menacing, at least not like it might have in the past. So overall, you know the the idea of trying to find this killer and then discovering that the killer is actually in the house. And that that becomes kind of the, that drives the rest of the story is trying to figure out, okay, who is it and how are they in the house? And then who, the people who are in the house, how do they survive this? And so there's, there's different layers to it, but the legacy of the film is going to be some of the conventions that it established. 
I mean, it's undeniable. I mean, you can see it in films that follow. So it's not necessarily just empty talk of saying, well, this was a, a kind of a revolutionary type of film or approach to this type of story because it did show up down the line. So all that said, you know, Black Christmas, I think, is an interesting watch. It's a little bit of a time capsule. It does it does really hold itself in 1974 or so. Um there are some aspects of it that I think Margot Kidder's character feels very current or contemporary. You know, her character is, and maybe that's part of the groundbreaking nature of the film is that here's a character in this film that talks pretty much like characters might talk today in terms of the frankness and the openness. You know, there are a couple of other characters that are very kind of sheltered and, guarded. But Margot Kidder's character of Barb really does kind of change some of that. So in the end, I think it's a recommendation, but just keep in mind, the movie's almost 50 years old and some of it may may start to feel like that as you're watching it. I think you'll see the value in it and you'll see why people really kind of hold it up as a, as a landmark. So, all right. So that was a, that was an easy one to get through really. Um, this next one, this one's going to be a little tougher. And this is 169, also Black Christmas. 15 years ago, on Christmas Eve, his family became his victims. What have you done? are officially closed this one is not gonna let up a group of college friends that sucks everyone should be home for christmas are about to discover lauren we're opening up presents why don't you open the present we got you their house i got it is his home all is calm all is bright who is in my house tonight don't you have lots of toys to deliver to good little boys and girls you really shouldn't provoke somebody like that. And on December 25th... You're definitely getting punked. Is that Santa's reindeer? All he wants for Christmas... Is Megan in her room? Is a new family he can treat like his very own. Okay, so this is a remake of the 1974 film, remade in 2006 by writer and director Glenn Morgan, and uh, stars maybe some people that, uh, some faces, some names that people might be more familiar with today, but 
The problem with this film, I think, is that while it ups the body count, it ups the level of blood and gore and and just the graphic nature of the killings. It also tries, personally, I think it's a little bit of a, a misguided attempt to give some backstory and give some motivation to the killer. And I talked about this in a previous episode about the Halloween remakes that Rob Zombie did and trying to give a better understanding or a backstory to who Michael is and why he's killing and, and all that stuff. And it's a similar thing here. I, it's, it's kind of the same pitfall. I just, I, I feel like it, it, it takes away from the suspense because it's like already, you know, going into this, this is a remake you really kind of have an understanding of what's going to happen. Now, if you don't know about the original, this film doesn't really work with that in mind. You know, the opening of the film doesn't even start with the sorority house. It starts in the, like, a, I don't know, mental facility or, or um, a psychiatric facility or whatever, where uh, the killer, I don't know, escapes, basically, kills a bunch of people, escapes, is out on the loose. So already, you know, like this is going to be a pretty violent, pretty uh, disturbing film. And we haven't even got to our characters yet. We haven't even got to our kind of main location yet. And so I think that was the uh, appeal of the original was that it took its time. It lets you know about the characters first. It lets you know their situation, their individual lives and relationships and the things that they were dealing with. And then interjected all this stuff with the killer into it. And there was a mystery to it. And here it kind of goes backwards. It's like we're starting with the killer and we're starting with death. And and then we get to the the sorority house and we already know what's really going to go down for the next hour and a half. I understand the thinking. I understand the logic of trying to do something different and maybe make it, give it a little more depth. I just think that something about it doesn't work for this genre. Or it's really tricky to do for this genre, put it that way. And this is one of those that, to me, it just doesn't work. I don't know. You don't really go along for the ride because you already know how the ride's going to go. And so that, uh, on top of that, there's just something about the production quality of the film. I mean, it's just, it's, some of the camera work is a little questionable and, and not really, I'm not really clear on some of the thinking there, you know, uh, um, that's more on the technical level, I guess, but I don't know. It, it seems a little, uh, I don't want to use the, I, I don't want to say amateurish, but it just, it just doesn't feel like it's up to a certain quality, you know, even compared to a 1974 film, it just feels a little bit like TV movie ish, you know? I don't, I don't, I can't really peg what it is. It's just something about it. It just feels a little bit, I don't know, cut rate. So the original was really known and, and revered for breaking some new ground, setting some new landmarks. And instead of doing that, you're going to just remake it. What is it? What is the saying of the lightning can't strike twice? So, um, why not try something different? This one is an easy pass for me, you know. If you like the original, especially, you're going to really be disappointed by this. Um, if you've never seen the original, you happen to see this first. You might think there's something to it. Sure, there are, there are a couple of interesting components, a couple of interesting elements to it. 
I didn't really find any of the performances all that great. I, I, I didn't really understand the changing of the premise and the, I guess, the layout of the story, you know, kind of changing what's revealed when. I, I, I didn't really understand that. But if you're going to watch Black Christmas, watch the original and at least be able to appreciate its impact on the genre. Okay, so, and look, but before we move on, though, I do want to say something about this with remakes. Several years ago, many years ago, really, um, I used to do this podcast with some friends of mine called Soda Pop Journal. One of the components I used to do, though, when we were doing more written pieces, was I would look at remakes. You know, I would look at the original, and then I would look at whatever the modern or more contemporary remake of that same film is, and and kind of weigh the good and bad of both of them. And I've done that with The Getaway, uh, with Steve McQueen and Alan McGraw, remade again with Alec Baldwin and Kim Basinger. I've done that with The Thomas Crown Affair with Steve McQueen and Faye Dunway, and then remade with Pierce Brosnan and Rene Russo. All of these films I really like, but here's the thing. So I did that with this, right? In, in a way, I watched the original, then I turned around and watched the remake. There's also a third remake of this film, if you can believe it or not. And I haven't watched it only because when I looked into it, where can I watch it? You know, is it streaming somewhere? How can I get it? All the numbers, all the reviews, all of the, all the feedback on this film is horrible. On the second remake, the third version of this film from 2019, just a few years ago, the overall vibe... The the read on this thing is that it's really bad. So I'm going to pass on that. I'm going to skip because I know someone might say, oh, you did the original. Now you did the remake. What about the second remake? I, I can read. Okay. You can read too. Just go look at some reviews of that film. You'll see that it's probably not worth your time. But what I'm getting to though is I want to do some more of that. I think I, I, I really enjoy that doing a look at the original film and look at the remake and trying to maybe understand what was good about the original so much so that someone thought there's an idea here that needs to be either updated or maybe told a little bit differently or maybe just kind of reimagined. And so I'm lining up some films that I do want to do that with going forward with this, with Film Street. So I'm putting some pairings together. I'm going to see what I can do and, and get some of those recorded. And oh, I got to watch them first, right? But I do want to do that. And I don't know, tell me if you think there's a, a film that was remade that was maybe better than the original or way worse than the original. I, let me know. Let me make some suggestions here because I've got some that I've got in mind. I'm always open to others. I mean, some films that I know about that I might have on my list to watch. I didn't necessarily know there were remakes and it'd be good to know that maybe going into it ahead of time. You know, we just talked about meet Joe black a few episodes ago and I knew that was a remake when that movie came out, but I have yet to track that down or, or even attempt to watch that. So that's, that's part of doing this with black Christmas. I just wanted to look at that, see if I still have a, uh, an idea of how to look at a remake and an original and what's good about what and what. So with that said, um, again, Black Christmas, 
from 1974, recommended. Black Christmas from 2006, hard pass. All right, so let's keep it moving now. We're going to get to 170 here. This is Krampus. It's the most wonderful time of the year. With the kids jingle bells. Merry Christmas! Looks like Martha Stewart threw up in here. This is delicious, honey. A little dry. Well, mine's delicious. Mine's dry. Do you want to trade? It's the It's Christmas. It's Christmas. It's Christmas. With those holiday greetings and greetings. How are we going to survive Christmas with 12 people stuck in a house with no heat and no electricity? Or food. There's plenty of leftovers, Howard. Beer it is. It's the weirdest thing. There's no cars, no people. How long can this keep up? We heard something on the roof. What the hell is this? St. Nicholas is not coming this year. Instead, a much darker ancient spirit. Those are hooves. Elk or goat? What kind of goat walks on its hind legs? His name is Krampus. He and his helpers did not come to give, but to take. Everybody, hold on to each other. He is the shadow of Saint Nicholas. Christmas. <clears throat> this is a film from 2015, written by Todd Casey, Michael Doherty, Zach Shields, directed by Michael Doherty, and uh, stars actually a really interesting cast. And I, you know, looking at the cast is Adam Scott, Tony Collette, David Koechner. There's a lot of people in this that. Um, I, I guess I just didn't have the right understanding of what this film was. I didn't even look into who the cast was. I didn't really even look into how it did, you know, in terms of reaction or reviews or nothing. I just remember seeing like, oh, there's this movie coming out called Krampus? Krampus? What? I don't know. I, I, I just ignored it. And so here I thought, well, okay, here's a chance to... Let me let me go back. Let me let me back up a little bit. Let me take a look at that and see what really happened there. And I'll tell you, I mean, I was actually really surprised with this. Um, that's not to say it's a great movie, and I'm I'm eager to watch it all over again at this moment. But um, there was some really fun stuff in it that uh, I I guess I hadn't really considered. 
And um, I think it might be worth a watch. I mean, if you're into horror films, it's probably more your bag. If you're into Christmas films, forget it. This is not really... <laughs> it takes place during Christmas. Some of the elements in the film are related to the Christmas you know, holiday. But um, generally, it's like... Most of the characters in this film are unlikable. They're irredeemable. They're really just not any anybody to root for. And so when... Here, uh, let me give you a little bit of the premise. The, the idea is that there's a family. There's a young boy in the family. The family's all gathered around. People taking shots at each other. Things get a little underhanded. It gets a really kind of... It gets real messy, you know? It's a family that's clearly not not interested in being around each other, especially for the holiday. For lack of a better term, the really the main character in this film is uh, the, the son, who's played by MJ Anthony, he plays the character's name Max. And, you know, we just talked about Chef a few episodes back also. He's the young boy in that film. He plays his son there. And so here I was actually surprised. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I, I recognize this guy. He's really at the center of this film. It's a little bit of Kevin from Home Alone where, you know, he's overwhelmed by everybody and everything that's happening. And so he kind of makes a, you know, nighttime wish under his breath of like, I wish everything would just go away or whatever it is. And what happens is not necessarily like home alone. He wakes up and everybody's gone, but he wakes up and things start happening. And the grandmother in the house and of the family, she's really uh, trying to explain to him her belief and her, you know, the, the, the idea of this legend of Krampus, which is a, I say a creature, but it's a, it's a being that is kind of the opposite of Santa. You know, it has his helpers, uh, little weird creatures and demonic looking things that come and take the things that you want instead of giving you the things you want. And so when you say, I want everybody to leave, Krampus and his little goons, they come and take them. So it's really, it, it's not necessarily like a slasher film. Like there's a killer roaming around, you know, taking people out. It's this, I guess, monster and, and all of the, the accoutrements that come with it, okay? What it is is more of a fantasy. It's really kind of an interesting, dark fantasy. And it's got some, it's got some comedy in it, too. I mean, the, the comedy is really, it's really stinging, though. I mean, it's got some bite to it. When the, when the family members are poking at each other and they're even kind of kind of self-aware that they're in, I, I don't want to say a horror movie, but they're in a movie, you know, that they're in a fictional world. I, I don't know. It, it it rides that line between being smart and being a little too too clever for its own good. It's, it's right down the middle. And I could see, like, if you're not in the right mood for it, you would think, oh, this is just really badly this is just a bad idea. But if you hey, you just go with it, maybe put it on and just kind of see what happens. It can be it can be kind of entertaining, you know? It can be kind of fun. So I I I even think 
there's a level of production here that really stands out. I mean, especially in terms of like some of the creature design and some of the effects in this film. This is really not where I thought this film was. I thought we were really in the basement in terms of, you know, what this what this film was working with. You know, there there was a there's that wave of movies that were coming out maybe around this time, maybe even a little earlier. You know, the things you would find, like I said, in Redbox or back in the days of Blockbuster, you know, you'd see the big releases on that big wall all around the store. And then you'd see all the little garbage releases in between, right? And for a while there, there were films that felt like they could just at a glance on a shelf or on, you know, a red box screen or, or even on Netflix. I mean, th- th- that's where it lives now, it, right? It lives on Netflix. It lives on Amazon Prime Video or whatever, where you're scrolling through covers of stuff and you see something that looks somewhat legit, looks like something that you recognize. And you start watching it, you realize, oh, this was probably made for like $50,000. <laughs> you know, I'm talking about movies like stuff that would have been produced, you know, at, at one point by something like Asylum or, you know, some of these really low budget, low quality production houses and studios that, you know, something like Transmorphers instead of Transformers, right? That's a real thing. is out there somewhere. Go, Go watch it if you dare. You know, something like Sharknado, right? Which there's clearly no confusing that with like a real high profile Hollywood film. But the level of quality, that's what I'm talking about. So anyway, um, this was where I thought Krampus was coming from. I thought that's, that's what we were dealing with. And when you see the amount of work that clearly went into the film, it's on the screen, has a lot of really kind of imaginative, really clever and visually interesting work. Uh, I was really surprised and, and in a good way. You can watch this and within the first half hour, you'll know if this is a movie for you or not. Before things even start to go crazy, you'll kind of get a sense from the way the characters are working and the dialogue and stuff. You're like, I'm not buying it or I just don't understand what's going on. You don't know if this is for you or not. I personally, I thought it was pretty interesting. So it would be a recommendation for me, a very narrow one, but a recommendation. Okay, so we're going to keep this moving now. This is, um, let's get to the next one here. 171, Fat Man. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I've lost my influence. Maybe it's time I retired the coat. Still have it. Some kids with a deer rifle put two holes in the sleigh, one in me. All I have is a loathing for a world that's forgotten. The United States military would like to procure your services. This is a one-time deal, gentlemen. How are you, Mike? Nicole and the kids are well, I hope. Where are you? What's the job? I'd like you to kill Santa Claus. 
been looking for the fat man. You can't be serious. This is what people actually think of me. Christmas is a farce. I am a joke. What's the purpose of your visit? Hunting. I'm going to kill some things. There is a rising number of our youth making poor decisions. What the big man's head? Severed heads rot. They mold. They don't want his beard. I'm not shaving off a dead man's beard. Your workers sure have healthy appetites. That's why elves live much longer than humans. And Chris, he does the same. No, it's a giving that keeps him young. I've come for your head, fat man! Dashing through the snow No one horse open You think you're the first? Think I got this job because I'm fat and jolly? All right, so here we go. This is from 2020. It's written and directed by Ian Helms and Esham Helms, who I assume are siblings. The cast in this film is actually kind of interesting. I mean, the two main characters are Mel Gibson and Walton Goggins, who, uh, you know, clearly have seen some really interesting and really high-profile work over their careers. And this film is not quite that. And, it, you know, honestly, it's really not even a Christmas film, other than <laughs> the main character is Chris Kringle, okay? Santa Claus. But this is a very different approach, a very different look at this character and this world and everything. You know, it really plays more like a, almost like a Clint Eastwood film, you know, like a kind of a modern day Western, you know, set in today's world with all of the trappings of, you know, popular culture and and everything else. And yet um, it's, I don't know, this rendition of, of Santa Claus is just the weariest and the most like haunted version of Santa Claus I think I've ever seen. And he's just tired he's defeated he's uh he's really seen better days he's like that close to hanging it up that's not to say that it's not fun because the the movie actually really kind of trades in this really pitch black comedy i mean i think if if you took out a few elements here and there it could be a comedy but the thing is everybody plays it totally straight they're in a comedy, but they're playing it. The actors, the the even the dialogue, it's written like a hard-nosed crime thriller. And so it's a real interesting mishmash of genres here and tones and even some of the story elements. You know, you 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 have this, you're looking at two different characters on two different tracks. You've got Walton Goggins here, who is a man who's hired by some young, spoiled, rich kid who didn't get what he wanted for Christmas, he's hired to go kill Santa Claus. However you have to do it, right? 
And then you've got Santa Claus over here, fat man, Chris Kringle, who is just at the end of his rope and can't pay the bills, can't keep the lights on, can't take care of his employees, right? And um, doesn't know how he's going to make it through the next year. So you've got these two characters that are on these different tracks, and you you know it's going to happen at some point where they're going to converge, right? These two characters are going to finally meet. It's going to be a showdown. That's where it starts to feel like a Western, right? It starts to feel like we're getting to that high noon moment, and it's going to come. And when it comes, it it really it goes to places that you didn't really think it was going to go. And that's where I, I look, I got to give these two guys... Uh, Ian and Usham Nelms. I got to give them props for really taking a big swing here. Uh, it's not, <laughs> it's, it's definitely a bold choice. And so, um, you know, I don't know if this was, uh, well reviewed or well received or whatever. I thought it was at least an interesting attempt it's it's a really it's a really strange approach to this story, but yet it's it's almost like I couldn't see this working any other way. Like I couldn't imagine this. Like what would the Disney version of this be? Like it just wouldn't be, right? I'll just say um, this is a recommendation. It's, it's again like Krampus. It's it's a very narrow recommendation. You know, you may watch this and be like, I don't. This is stupid. This is not a Christmas movie, and it's really not. But that's okay. Don't watch it with that in mind. Watch it as like, this is a Disney Christmas Santa Claus movie gone wrong. <laughs> told by Guy Ritchie or told by Quentin Tarantino or something. Right? So take a chance on it if you like. Uh, if you got a, an hour or two, see what it's about. I think you might find there's some interesting stuff in here. That's Fat Man. All right, now we're going to get to our third pairing here, which is... Uh, a couple of British films, also related to Christmas, but uh, also taking some very different approaches. These two films kind of take the Christmas thing and flip it on its head a little bit. And not just Christmas season or whatever, but people's approach to the holiday itself. So here we go. Uh, this one, our next one up, is 172. This is Anna and the Apocalypse. was the night before Christmas, and all through the house. Not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. Young Anna was nestled, all snug in her bed. Not knowing tomorrow, she'd meet the undead. How would she survive what this season would bring? Well, that's simple. She'd stab, she'd slash, and she'd sing. Justin Bieber's a zombie.
Okay, so where do I even start here? This film is uh, it's 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 a little bit of a head scratcher. Okay, this is from 2017, and the only thing I can really tell you, I kind of give you an idea of of what the story is, is essentially a young girl and her friends in school. They uh, are they're coming up to Christmas, and there's a zombie outbreak. And so that on its own is already, you've got two genres crossing, right? It's a little bit Shaun of the Dead. There's a little bit of people who are kind of so self-involved, self-absorbed, that they don't see what's happening right next to them, right behind them, where the world is falling apart. Now, on top of that, you've also got uh, a little bit of a love story. You've also got a little bit of the teenage dynamic between parents and authority, whether it's teachers or the headmaster of the school, uh, you know, all that kind of thing happening. And then on top of that, this is a musical. And I didn't know that. And I think I mentioned in a previous episode way back. I'm, I'm real particular with my musicals. I, it's not an easy thing to do. And to do well, and then you've got that on top of like three or four other genres. I mean, it, it's a lot. It's a lot to try and make work all at the same time. And I don't really know that this film does it. And watching it, you know, I actually watched it. I watched it all the way through. And then I said, no, let me, I need to stop. Because there's a point in the film where things turn. You know, where you're kind of along for what is happening, even when the zombies start to come in, you're still following it. But there is even a point after that where things take a turn, where it kind of, it's like things get real. And so the characters, everything really changes gears. And so I said, let me go back and I'm going to actually rewatch that part on, like to the end again and see, see what that's about. And even then, the thing that took me out of it every time was the songs, the musical element of the whole film. You know, there's one point early in the film where there's like a, a concert, uh, uh, I say a concert, like a recital. And one of the characters is on stage singing a song. And it's very, you know, it's high school kids. So they're kind of um, pushing that envelope. They're pushing buttons. They're sliding in. Uh, lyrics to the song that uh, double entendres and, and it's a lot, you know, and it's watching the reaction in the audience with the parents and the teachers and like, Oh wait, what did she say? That kind of thing is happening. And that's kind of fun because you see that it's part of the scene is someone's on stage singing. Okay. Got it. When you get to the other scenes where it's like characters dancing on tables in the cafeteria and then, you know, running through hallways, I, uh, okay, I make the songs good, and I'll stick with you. But so many of the songs in this film, they're not, they're just not that good. And even the energy of the songs, even if the songs were good, like the energy of them, it just feels, it just clashes with what, what is actually happening in the scene. You know, if you got a character who's going through a moment, and it's a it's a dramatic, um, tense moment or whatever. But then the song, when the song kicks in, it's like a upbeat, very vibrant feel. I it just doesn't. It, I feel like I'm in something else now. I'm in some other movie. 
you know, even to the point where some of the singing, like the voices don't feel like the right, it feels like it was re-recorded in the studio and then they dubbed it or they lip synced it on set, you know, that kind of thing. That stuff is like, if it's just artificial enough, I'm out. I can't, I can't rock with that. I think really the only film that really works for me, like in the, in the setting, in the moment, in the particular world of this movie is the last song because it is one of those where, wait, everything is coming apart and the characters are at a low moment and the song feels like it. It feels like that's the song that those characters would sing right now. And so I I just think that the trappings of the musical are something that really break this film. If this had every other element except for that, this would probably be okay. It would probably be fun. It would probably be somewhat interesting. But that really, it just, the, the counterweight of that, it throws everything else off. You know, some of the scenes with the zombies and the tension of how do we survive this or how do we get around zombies or through, you know, how do we, how do we deal with these zombies? Like that's something we've seen so many times now, especially with like the walking dead, you kind of already know. And yet this film does do a couple of interesting, fun things with that. But at the same time, it has to pull some punches because it's also a musical. So it can't go too far into horror or zombie territory because it's still got to come back to something light and it's still got to come back to the love story. And it's still got to come back to dealing with the parents. There's so many other genres in this thing. <laughs> so I I just think it was, it's probably a matter of biting off more than they could chew. And it's not to say it's not a good idea, but it just really didn't pan out. I, I think the way it would be expected. So for me, it's a pass. If you like musicals, might be worth a try. But otherwise, um, I'm going to say steer clear. Maybe just go watch Shaun of the Dead again. Let's move to our last one here. This is 173, Silent Night. You look perfect. Fly! Oh, did you bleed on the carrots? Will I die? Yep, probably. Grandma! Happy Christmas. You're still alive? Yes, I think so. Jesus, they're early. Tony and Simon robbed the petrol station. Oh, what fun. We make tremendous criminals. I felt so good. We're all getting old. Well, we were getting old. It's just one potato each. Just one for everyone. Yeah. Did anyone watch the Queen's speech? Well, she's clearly in some bunker set up, you know, filled with tins of baked beans and dog food. Here's <laughs> to the lives that we've shared. <laughs> our beautiful children our beautiful friends may we rest in peace i just think we should be honest with the kids we know the russians want us all dead they're sending poisonous gas to kill us all in the morning it's not the russians it's the panic it's very upset it will kill anything and anyone that is still alive We should have all voted green. Mm. We just want to make sure that you understand that as your parents, we are not to blame. 
Clearly, it's not your fault either. This is a film that uh, was released in 2021. And to just really quickly get to the premise, this is a family that has come home for Christmas. Uh, They're all gathered in this big home, this big estate. And it's kind of remote, kind of isolated. And it seems like everybody's coming to celebrate the holiday, but yet everybody's kind of tense and... Similar to Krampus in a way, not everybody wants to be around everybody else. Uh, There's a lot of, you know, shots that get fired back and forth. Uh, This family does does not like each other. And it's not even clear why, because they all seem to hate each other. Until it's kind of revealed that there's this, uh, I don't know, wave, cloud, this incident where this poisonous gas is just moving its way across the countryside, basically killing everything in its path. It's never explained really too deeply like how or what or why, but it's just happening. And so the idea is that all of these people have come home because they're all going to take this, I don't know, government-prescribed suicide pill, basically. And so they're all here, not to celebrate Christmas, but to all peacefully say goodbye, good night, so so long, right? As that starts to all come together and you start to get the picture of why they're all here, even though they all don't like each other, and it becomes a little bit of a different movie. Because as you build up to that, you have the characters start to talk about, well, wait, why, why are we doing this? Like, how do we know that we'll die with this poison cloud or whatever? And is this even maybe a conspiracy? You know, even the trailer kind of tips that a little bit, right? And there's even characters that don't want to. It starts to play on that of like, is this the right thing to do? Is this either ethically the right thing to do? Or is this, you know, as a parent, is this the right thing to do to your children? And all that kind of stuff. The the morality of it all starts to come into effect. And so that's one interesting angle for this because... Otherwise, if it's just a Christmas family gathering film, it's really, it's not great. I mean, (laughs) when everybody starts airing each other out, uh, you start to wonder, like, why would these people ever come together? And why do I want to sit and watch this? So then you, you have to, at that point, realize, okay, there's a bigger picture here. And none of these people are going to make it through the night. And it's not because there's some psycho killer out there. It's just because this is something that's happening in the world. All that going to say that this did seem like a film just watching it and knowing it came out in 2021. This seemed like something that must have been either the the idea, the, the production of it. It must have all happened in early COVID days. It just it just feels like such a a direct metaphor for that situation that the world was in, that everybody was just scared for the worst, that, that the world was going to end and there was no escaping it. And it was going to get you one, one way or the other. And I could see that. 
Now to to see or to learn that this film was actually you know created and and most of it was shot before. If you're in the mood for just a quiet kind of uh, I don't know, it's it's really kind of a dour film. Like like I said, nobody here you really want to root for. Nobody you really even understand their their own perspective. They're they're all very um, they're very spiteful. Even the kids, you know, it's like 10 people in this house and I don't really want any of them to survive. (laughs) So with that in mind, I mean, if you, if you back up and look at the bigger picture of it, maybe that's where there's something meaningful in the film. And, and that's also what I wanted to get to now when we're talking about all of these films in this episode. This one maybe kind of directly hits it on the nose, but I think all of these films, in some of their stories, in some of the premises, they have this underlying subtext of what has happened to this holiday, what has happened to the season, you know, this time of year. And whether it's a result of, you know, society, changes in society or or popular culture or whatever, the idea of Christmas taking on different meaning than its obvious original meaning, that's nothing necessarily new, but how has it changed? And, and I don't know what, what has that done to our way of interacting with each other and caring about each other and, and all that, I, you know, that's, we're having to see like basically the apocalypse happen for us to be able to connect with each other or reconnect with each other. And I maybe that's extreme, but that's at least the approach that these filmmakers are taking. And so I'm sure there are some people that do see the world like as exactly as that. I don't personally, but um, if that's where you lean, if that's kind of your perspective on the world, these films might resonate with you in a way. Um, I, so, you know, take them as you will. Watch the ones that you think might be interesting. For me, it's a little bit of a mixed bag. I just think it's it's really dicey. It's really tricky to try and combine these two things. You know, the Christmas season, the holiday season is generally traditionally known as a time of joy and giving and caring and all that stuff. And yet to try and intertwine or integrate aspects of horror and suspense and terror. And it's got to be for the right reason and it's got to be done in the right way. And so it can be tricky. Results can be mixed. So look, that's been this episode. These have been kind of interesting to talk about. Uh, If you have some other ideas or some other thoughts on these comments at filmstreak.com. Okay. And then Go to filmstreak.com. There you can subscribe. You can find other episodes. You can just see what else is there. And until then, this is Rob. And I appreciate you listening. Thanks for checking this out. I'll talk to you later.